Podcast dedicated to suspense, crime, and horror stories from the golden age of radio. I'm Eric. I'm Tim. And I'm Joshua. We love mysterious old-time radio stories, but do they stand the test of time? That's what we're here to find out. This week, I chose an episode of Weird Circle called Markheim, based on a short story by Robert Louis Stevenson. Markheim, the short story, originally appeared in the Pall Mall Gazette in 1884 and again in 1885 in The Broken Shaft, Tales of Mid-Ocean as part of Unwin's Christmas Annual. The story was later published in Stevenson's collection The Merry Men and Other Tales and Fables in 1887. The Pall Mall Gazette newspaper has an interesting background. It had several well-known contributors, George Bernard Shaw, Oscar Wilde, and Robert Louis Stevenson among them. It is referred to in several significant pieces of literature. Sherlock, The Adventure of the Blue Carbuncle, in Bram Stoker's novel Dracula, in H.G. Wells' The Time Machine, and interestingly enough, the Pall Mall Gazette is itself fictional, named after a fictional newspaper in a novel by William Makepeace Thackeray, which is not a fictional name, but it sounds made up. The Weird Circle lasted two seasons, 39 shows consisting mostly of radio adaptations of classic horror stories from authors like Edgar Allan Poe, Charles Dickens, and Robert Louis Stevenson. The connection to our month of holiday-themed shows is that not only does the story of Markheim take place on Christmas, it has a lot of similar themes and motives of a Christmas carol, but we'll discuss that later. Here it is, Markheim from The Weird Circle, originally broadcast on the 20th of May, 1945. It's late at night and a chill has set in. You're alone, and the only light you see is coming from an antique radio. Listen to the sounds coming from the speaker. Listen to the music, and listen to the voices. Out of the past, phantoms of a world gone by speak again the immortal tale. Markheim. You feel safe, don't you, Markheim? You feel safe and flat and secure, don't you, Markheim? sitting all alone before the fireplace in your uncle's drawing room. Ah, but you're not alone, Markheim. I'm with you. With you all the time. Invert your eyes, Markheim, and look within you. Invert them if you can, and then perhaps you will see me. I love to watch you thus at rest, Markheim. Safe and fat and secure. For then you are so much my servant... Stir, Markheim. Stir. Just when I was relaxing so nicely. Answer it, Markheim. Answer it. Oh, that instrument is a menace to the peace. Arise, Markheim, and do answer the phone. Confound it. Get up, Markheim. Get up and answer that phone. Hello? Hello? 
Is Markheim there? Speaking. Who's this? Rogers. R- Rogers? For heaven's sakes, man. Uh, what's the matter? I told you never to call me here. Suppose my uncle answered the phone. Oh, listen, Markheim. I'm your broker, not your nursemaid. Well, what do you want, man? Quickly. One of the servants may come back. Your stock has dropped. I'll need money within the hour. Stock? Rogers, look. Let's not talk about this over the phone. I'll come over right away. You may not have time, Markheim. Oh, how much will you need? I'll try to raise it at once. Six thousand. Six thousand? So much? You knew the hazards when you bought on margin. If I don't have the money within the hour, you will have lost everything. Within the hour? Within the hour. Six thousand. Six thousand. All right. All right. I'll try to raise it at once. Six thousand. Within the hour. Where am I going to get it? Come now, Markheim. There is a way, you know. Where am I going to get it? Let me help you, Markheim. Where am I going to get $6,000? Let me suggest something to you, Markheim. Look around the room. Hmm. Nothing in this room is worth $6,000. The wall, Markheim. The wall. A portrait of my uncle. Oh, I couldn't ask him. Even if I could reach him within the hour. If he ever knew I was speculating... Not the portrait, Markheim. Behind the portrait. Behind the portrait. Wait a minute now. Hmm. There is a possibility after all. You're in deep already, Markheim. What have you to lose? I'm in deep already. What have I to lose? Stir, Markheim. Stir. Still, maybe it would be better to lose all that stock and forget about it. Move, Markheim. Move. Oh, why do I get into such dilemmas? Get up, Markheim. Get up and move. Oh, what the devil. Now if I can only lift this picture off the wall. Help me. Oh, found it. Set it down. There. There it is. Ah, bet the old fella doesn't even guess that I know about this wall safe. Put your fingers up to the dial, Markheim. Or the combination, either. Put your fingers up to the dial and twist it, Markheim. Two to the right. All the way around and stop at eight. All the way around to the left. Past eight and stop at four. Ah, there it is. Now put your hand into the safe. Yes. There's the money. A small fortune, but I'll take just enough. Six thousand in wonderful paper money. Draw out the money, Markheim. I got it. Quickly now, Markheim. Quickly. Close the door of the safe and put back the picture. That's the way, Markheim. Rush into the street and through the city. Taxi! Taxi! Quickly. Quickly. My taxi. Swift and sure. Now into the broker's building, Markheim. Up to his office. Place the money in his hand. Here's the 6,000, Rogers. Oh, quick work, Markheim. Now you may return to your uncle's home. But with leisure, Markheim. You may even walk if you wish. And you may cock your hat at a jaunty angle. For luck was with you this afternoon. And you may smile as you enter the drawing room once again. Oh, hello, nephew. Oh, Uncle, I... Uh, did I surprise you, my boy? 
Well, yes. Uh, you're home early, aren't you? Yes, a little. Christmas Eve, you know. It's hard to get work on the afternoon before Christmas Eve. I thought I'd have my lunch at home and remain. You're right, Uncle. The afternoon before Christmas Eve is no time for business. Mm, I'm glad we're of the same mind. Sit down. Sit down. Yes, Uncle. Uh, this room is so comfortable. <laughs> oh, I hardly have time enough to enjoy it, though. That's true, Uncle. It's a room to relax in. I love to come here and just sit. And that's because the appointments are so carefully chosen. The furniture and the rugs and the hanging, they all complement each other. <laughs> Even that silly old portrait of me. Portrait? Oh. Oh, oh yes. That portrait of you. Uh, <laughs> it's not so silly, Uncle. An excellent likeness of you. Thank you for the compliment, nephew. But I dare say you're lying. <laughs> Look at it. I see nothing wrong with it. Well, it's crooked. It's slightly off-center. Oh, why, yes, it is. I'll fix it. Just a little push it. There it is. Is that all right? Yes, that's fine. Fine, thank you. <laughs> you know, that crooked portrait reminded me of something. Huh? Uh, do you care to tell me? Oh, it's nothing important. It just reminded me to take the picture down one of these days. Take it down? Why? Well, nothing special. Just to... <laughs> Dust it off a little, shall we say. Uh, perhaps I can help you. Uh, when are you going to take it down? Uh, see, not today. Uh, and tomorrow's Christmas. The next day, probably. And I won't need any help, my boy. No help at all. As you wish, sir. Uh, and uh, now I think I shall be going upstairs. I have a few gifts I still want to wrap. Uh, see you later, then. Yeah. Oh, now, wait a moment. What was it I wanted to ask you about? Ask me? I wouldn't know, Uncle. Oh, never mind. It's probably not too important if it slipped my mind. I'll call you if I remember. I'll see you later, nephew. Uh, goodbye for now, sir. Good heavens. The day after tomorrow. The day after tomorrow. The day after tomorrow, Markheim. And you know why he's going to take that portrait down. He's sure to examine that safe carefully. What'll I do? Replace the money, Markheim. Where can I get $6,000? Where can I get so much money by tomorrow? Think, Markheim. Think. What on earth's the matter with me anyway? Each problem begets a new one. I wonder if there's any escape. Think, Markheim. Think. Oh, uh, nephew. Uh, yes, uncle. It just occurred to me. I, I can't find my ruby stick pin. Have you borrowed it? Why, no. I'd never borrow it without your permission. No, I see. Then I guess I must have lost it. Well, uh, never mind. I'll speak to my insurance broker. Uh, I'm terribly sorry, sir. One thing after another. Now, where can I get $6,000 by tomorrow? Think, Markheim. Think. Where? 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 The ruby stick pin, Markheim. Doesn't that suggest something to you? Now, who would have so much money? The ruby stick pin, Markheim. Don't you remember? Don't you remember that afternoon? That afternoon you entered the dealer shop on that side street downtown? That dirty little deserted side street? Don't you remember how quiet the place was? How all alone you both were? Yeah. So you're back, young man. I'm sure I'm welcome. You've made a tidy penny on me. Yes. And you should expect I would profit well. I think you profit much too well. Eh, some of my customers are ignorant, and then I touch a dividend on my superior knowledge. And some of them are... Some of them 
Yes? Well, some of them are dishonest. In that case, I profit by my virtue. Frankly, I need no preamble to our dealings. Let's get on. Yes, indeed, let us get on. Uh, what have you brought me now? Another curio from your uncle's cabinet? No, not from my uncle's cabinet. I brought you this. Oh. And it's genuine, let me assure you. Your assurance promises me nothing. Uh, but it is, I tell you. Calm yourself. I trust my own eyes. It is genuine. Ruby stick pin. Oh. Very elegantly designed. How much will you give me for it? Three hundred. Wait, you fool, that's worth at least a thousand. Does it matter whether I give you three hundred or three thousand? You lose it anyway. I'd rather enrich myself than some stock speculator. I'll not give it to you for three hundred. It's you who needs the money, not I. But three hundred? I'll be generous. Four hundred, shall we say. Very well. Since I have no choice, I'll take the four hundred. Good. Now, you wait here. I'll go upstairs and fetch the money. You remember that, don't you, Markheim? You remember his exasperating gait up those stairs, to the floor above, to the room above, to the place where he kept his money? How easy it would be. I wonder if he has that much money up there now. How can you doubt it? Six thousand dollars is a lot of money. Does he have it? Suppose he has. How could I get it? He never leaves his shop. You know how, Markheim? He'd be in the way. How could I get it? You know how, Markheim. It would be so easy. Oh, I think I'll think about it later. I'm going to the kitchen to talk to the cook a while. Get my mind off this. Run away if you like, Markheim. You can't escape me. Go into the kitchen. I don't mind. I'm right with you, Markheim. I'm right with you. Hello there, Mrs. Cleary. What? Oh, you startled me, Master Markheim. I was buried in this newspaper and didn't hear you come in. Say, what's so fascinating about that newspaper? I have a little time before the oven heats up, so I thought I'd read about that new murder. Murder? Yes, terrible thing, Master Markheim. The murderer used a knife. A knife? I guess it must be easy to commit murder with a sharp knife. Some people would run a knife into a man's body as easily as I would into that goose I'm cooking. Uh, I just came in for a piece of cake, Mrs. Cleary. Cake? I... Oh, yes, over there. You've got to admit that sometimes it's easy to commit murder. Of course, the murderer might be caught, but it would be kind of easy, wouldn't you say? Especially with a sharp knife. That's it, Markheim. A sharp knife. So easy. So easy. at the stroke of a knife. But you won't carry it out, Markheim, while you sit in your uncle's drawing room. If I only keep my nerve, if I don't break at the last moment. 
You won't break Markheim. I'll be with you. Oh, uh, Merry Christmas, Uncle. No. What's the matter, sir? Oh, yes, yes, yes. I said, Merry Christmas. It could be merry enough, you. I wish you wouldn't spend your leisure time in my drawing room. What? I, I won't if you don't want me to. In fact, I forbid you to use this drawing room as your den. I forbid you to lounge here alone. I'm sorry, Uncle. What have I done? I don't care to discuss it now, nephew. It's Christmas Day. But I would like an hour with you tomorrow. Of course, of course. As much time as you want. No, no, no. I'd like you to leave me. I have some thinking to do. I must have done something terrible. All right. I'll leave. I'll go at once. He knows Markheim. I wonder if he's looked in his safe. He knows Markheim. You'll have to act swiftly now. If he's going to speak to me tomorrow, I'll have to get that money. Today. 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 Here it is, Markheim. The dealer's house. Ring the bell. Don't hesitate, Markheim. Ring it. I can't. I can't kill him. Your uncle knows, Markheim. Ring the bell. Ring it. Again. Why does he delay? Well, what is it you want? Must you keep me out here in the cold? I was talking on the telephone. Now, what do you want? I'm not buying anything today. I haven't come to sell. Have you come to wish me a Merry Christmas? No. I've come to buy. A Christmas present for a lady. Why don't you go elsewhere? All the other shops are closed. It was a sudden invitation to dinner, and I mustn't go empty-handed. You'll be doing me a great favor, and I'm willing to pay double. Uh, Oh, well, come in, come in. You're an old customer, after all. I take it you're fighting. Yes, well, far be it from me to stand in the... Thank you, sir. I appreciate it. Especially when you're willing to pay double. Yeah, I got it. How do you like this mirror? 14th century, warranted. Comes from a good collection, too. Mirror? Get it away from my face. Why not a mirror? Get it away from my face, I tell you. No. Not a mirror. Perhaps you see in it a reminder of past sins and follies. I don't like mirrors. They say a mirror often yields a reflection of one's inner self. Enough! Enough! Take it away, I tell you. Very well. Calm yourself. Perhaps this may suit you. This silver compact here on the shelf. I'll get it for you. Now, Markheim. Now. While his back is turned. The knife, Markheim. Swing it with your whole arm. Swiftly. Swiftly. With your whole arm, Markheim. There! I've... I've killed him. It is done, Markheim. It is well done. I've I've killed him. I must get out of here. Fool, where are you running? I can't remain. They'll find me here. I'll hang. The front door. I must get out. Stop. Do you want to destroy yourself? You cannot go out that door. Listen to what is happening on the other side of it. Listen. Well, here's the place, Garrity. All right, you go on in. I'll wait outside. Now, don't be a grouch. This is Christmas Day, and we're both going to present this turkey to the old man. He's the worst miser that ever lived. What does he know about Christmas? That doesn't matter. 
You agreed to walk down here with me, and now don't go away. I'm going to knock on the door. Uh, you see, there's no answer. Maybe he's not home. He never leaves. I'll try again. Hello, hello in there. Are you coming out? You're making enough noise to raise the dead. Maybe he's asleep. Oh, come on. Let's go. No, no, I think I'll wait a while. I, I expect he'll get up soon and walk over and open the door. You can go if you like. Uh, well, I guess I'll wait along with you. Did you hear that, Markheim? He's going to wait for the old man to get up and open the door. <laughs> Such a joke. I, I must get out of here. You know he can't get up, don't you, Markheim? The back door. The yard. I must get out of here. I, I've killed him. They'll find me and I'll hang. Stop running away, you fool. Are you going to forget your uncle and the safe behind his portrait? The back door. To the yard. Stop where you are. Don't you hear those voices in the alleyway? Listen. They're saying something on, that Billy. concerns Let you. Let me see what you got for Christmas. Oh, I got lots of things. Any marbles? Sure, Billy. A whole bag full. I got them in my pocket. So did I. Want to play me? Well, sure. Play you right now. Where do we play? Well, I don't want to play in the gutter. How about the backyard? His backyard? Why not? Don't be scared of that old foggy. We'll keep on playing until the old man gets up and opens the door and hollers at us. Okay, I'm game. Did you hear that, Markheim? Till the old man opens the door and hollers at them. I'm... I'm trapped in this house. You know he can't get up, don't you, Markheim? I'm trapped in this house. Stop lashing yourself, Markheim. You have done well this afternoon. And a great deal more lies ahead. Now come along. Up the stairs. Higher, and higher, and higher still. Up the stairs to the landing, and through the door, Markheim. Through the door. And into this room. Here's where the old dealer keeps his money. Now look carefully. Remember, 6000 to replace in your uncle's safe. I must get that money. I must. Of course you must. It's safe up here and quiet. So quiet, Markheim, with the door closed. Nothing to distract my search for the money. Hmm. This desk. Not there. Perhaps, perhaps behind this mirror. This full-length mirror, Markheim. It might. It might be behind that mirror. But, but I daren't look at it. Except for the corner of my eye. Why fear the mirror, Markheim? The money is right behind it. Now look at it. I'll look behind the mirror as a last resort. Look at it now, Markheim, with your full face. No. No. Look into the mirror, Markheim. Squarely into the mirror. I... I should see my reflection. But... But I don't. Of course not, Markheim. You see me instead. Who are you? I am your evil genius, Markheim. You! You are the voice within my brain. You are the voice that has helped me to steal and helped me to murder. What, what do you want of me? I have spent too long cultivating you as my tool, Markheim, to give you up easily. Once you trembled at the thought of theft, 
But I rid you of that fear. And this afternoon you reach the crisis. Murder. <laughs> let me alone. Please. I beg of you. Let me alone. What's that? A footstep. Someone's coming up those stairs. Hide, Markheim. Hide. It's the dealer. It can be no one else. The dead man's coming up those stairs. If only I knew how, how to pray. The door. How can I hide from a dead man? Good heavens. Uncle. Well, nephew. I expected to find you here. Uncle. How'd you know? How'd you know? The ruby stick pin. Yesterday evening it was missing and I thought you had borrowed it. I went into your room to look for it and found this on your dresser instead. The dealer's card. Exactly. When you denied borrowing the stick pin, I telephoned him. He remembered the pin. But it was no shock, my boy. I've never really trusted you. I have nothing to say, Uncle. And later that evening, I examined my safe behind the portrait. Six thousand dollars were missing. Then when you spoke to me this morning... When you forbade me to stay in your dressing room or drawing room alone, you knew. Yes, I knew. And when you left the house this afternoon, I knew you were trying to find money to replace what you took in the safe. Where could you go for money? But to some dealer. I see. <laughs> so I telephoned him and asked him to call me. That is, in case you should arrive. And he agreed and left the side door open. Then that's why he kept me waiting outside. He was talking to you. That's how it worked out. I hurried down here with a policeman. The worst I had expected was that you'd be arrested for theft. And now it's for murder. Yes, and he's waiting for you downstairs. My nephew. Shall we go? Yes. Yes, I'll go with you. I'll go. But please, just one more moment to my... I warn you, nephew, you cannot escape. I don't intend to, Uncle. Put that vase down. What are you doing? I'm going to smash that mirror. Wait, Markheim. Do not destroy me. I can help you get away. Your power is gone. You can't stop me from doing this. Now, now I don't care about the scaffold, nor what lies beyond it. I've broken the mirror, and in the time that remains, I shall have peace. From the time-worn pages of the past, we have brought you the story, Markheim. Bellkeeper, toll the bell. That was Markheim from The Weird Circle here on the Mysterious Old Radio Listening Society podcast. Once again, I'm Eric. I'm Tim. And I'm Joshua. That was my pick for the week uh, as we are trying to do Christmas-themed shows or at least some kind of connection to Christmas. <laughs> um, I can't wait to hear what you guys thought of it. I will tell you that going into this month, of course, I started looking around and, oh, what shows were done that had Christmas themes. And I think Joshua pointed it out last week that there are a lot of Christmas old-time radio shows that can either be really depressing or 
They can be just so sappy. They've just toned it down so much to make sure that no one is going to be offended over the holidays. When I came across this one, I was very happy. I thought it stayed right within the boundaries of not too terrible and not too sappy. Mm -hmm. And also, I was mesmerized by how quickly I discovered the theme of uh, Dickens' Christmas Carol was in here, written, I think, good 40 years afterwards. I went and did my research, and there it was in a number of different places, people calling the original Robert Louis Stevenson story the nephew of A Christmas Carol. Um, <laughs> it's also got a lot of crime and punishment yep. in it. It also, I think, is often looked at as a precursor to Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, just right. with the themes of duality. But just the idea of... Uh, you're being a jerk and coming to some resolution of uh, I'm going to change my ways. And unlike Joshua, I did not go back and read the original short story by Robert Louis Stevenson. What I did was I read a synopsis. <laughs> right there. You're it's looking such at a great story. There's one read page. The story. Synop- a synopsis is boring. Okay. Uh, reading the synopsis of the plot of the original <laughs> book. <laughs> I, you know, I took a class in synopses, actually, in college. Yeah. <laughs> I could have aced that. I was, uh, interestingly going to say, it made me want to go read the short story if I ever have time. Only there was a way. There is no way. <laughs> Call my jobs for me. Because um, I believe in what I've read here that the short story sounds much more interesting than their adaptation. It reminded me of The Telltale Heart in that the original story is slight, at least in action. It's not as short of a story as A Telltale Heart, but we we talked about that a couple weeks ago about adapting something small or slight for audio and some of the challenges of needing to add material to it. Because Mm -hmm. the original story, in some ways, is just a philosophical discussion for a large body of Mm -hmm. it, which doesn't make great radio. You need scene changes, you need a lot of sound. And so they expanded a lot to get there. As we do a lot of these stories that have been adapted from stories for the radio, how much of this original story do you discuss? Because our our listeners might be familiar with the story or they might Mm -hmm. not be. and They've just listened to the old radio show. So I don't want to go deep into the actual story. However, it does give you two different listening experiences. If you're familiar with this story and have read it, you're going to have a different listening experience than someone who is not and has just heard it. And I had not read the story. I heard the radio version first, Mm -hmm. and I had a great time and enjoyed it and all that. And then I read things like this. In the novel, a short story, I should say, he pulls out a knife, he stabs the antique dealer to death. And listen to this line and think about this being adapted to radio. Surrounded by mirrors and ominously ticking clocks and only with a candle to light up the dark shop, Markheim spends minutes recovering his nerve. And then he hears someone moving upstairs. And that's when he goes upstairs and comes face to face with what he assumes is the devil. Just that scene alone, let's just stop there, would have been a really nice, creepy radio scene. Well, as someone who read the short story this time. (laughs) Nice. Yes. Yes. Look at you. Um, I read it after I listened to the radio episode production. What units of radio? I listened to a unit of radio. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, And the... Narrator as evil genius shadow sort of person. I struggled with that until the end when I thought it got more interesting than just being the voice of, like, do it, do it, do the bad thing. (laughs) Um, Where it became something he interacted with. That is the part of the story where the story and the adaptation 
dovetail together. Actually, in that moment, after he, in the story, kills the antique dealer, hears the clocks, and then they all go, it all chimes three. Like, all the clocks in the store chime oh. three o'clock. Um, so he has that cacophony, which would, as I agree, be even more exciting radio uh, to hear. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I don't know that it specifically says it, but I got the impression when he goes upstairs and is confronting this dark form... They have this philosophical conversation you're talking about. In the story, yeah. And when he gets to the point of, I've resolved, I'm going to do the right thing, they describe the the face of the other one coming to this sort of peaceful thing that, I don't know if it's said explicitly, but it just sort of implies that he's been talking to a mirror the whole time. There's, it, there's a lot of ambiguity in the short story that they removed in the weird circle mm-hmm. and made it more of a traditional horror radio story, mm-hmm. which in some ways that makes it fun. He makes it really clear that this is the evil genius, this part inside him, but they treat it like he's almost possessed. By breaking the mirrors, he frees himself. Yes. And like the world's worst death moan. <laughs> where the, oh, he goes, oh, he goes, oh, you mean, <laughs> as I wrote down, he dies like he had stubbed his toe. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> and oh. as an actor, I immediately recognized the wrong choice. I mean, <laughs> not, just, not just that it didn't sound good, but I realized in this person's head, they were going, oh, but his voice is like this, the whole radio show. So how do I die, like, in this soft, hush voice? But it's, no, you die the opposite. Right. You've been killed now, and instead of trying to, like, uh, beguile this guy, now you're just screaming like a monster. Some, something to contrast yes, like, it would have been. Ow, 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 ow. <laughs> oh, I'm dead. A that would have like- been better. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. A little bit like the thing on the formal board. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that was a terrible death scene. I also like in the short story that it isn't his uncle that walks up the stairs and busts him. Mm-hmm. It's the maid that comes in, and he's already come to terms with what he's going to do, and he tells the maid to go get the police, right? In the yeah, short story. So, yeah, that she is kind of the, the point of contention between these two voices that... Ultimately, this dark force says, if you want to live your life at all and and not be in jail, you have to kill her. So all that taken into account, now that our audience is up to date on like, oh, here's some significant differences in the short story and what they did. Overall, what do you, I'll start with you, Joshua, what do you think of the adaptation then? I found the adaptation interesting. I don't know that it's totally successful, and I would have enjoyed it more had I not been previously familiar with the short story. So that's where I'm coming from. I think it's interesting how they transformed this very philosophical horror story into something that's a very traditional 1940s radio horror story. Mm -hmm. And that's where things like the uncle being on to him and there being a mystery surrounding who was the pawnbroker on the phone with when he came mm-hmm. in. And all that was kind of fun to see how they filled those gaps in from the short story. Because I honestly don't think a straight adaptation of this story would make good radio. They, parts of it they parts left of it out. Would, they backed off the adaptation a little too much. Mm-hmm. And I think they were very much in love with this idea of having this evil genius, as they called it, talking the entire time. And I think that was the failing of it. It was a very interesting introduction to the story, but he kept talking just continually. He was like mm-hmm. a demented whistler, is what he reminded right. me of, Yeah, right? yeah, yeah, yeah. And he's yeah. supposed to be this sort of representing all evil, and he just became like the world's worst life coach, right? Because he, <laughs> <laughs> was just like, he didn't seem that diabolical or evil, right? He just called him yeah. fat and told him to get up and move yep. and steal stuff. All good Have advice. <laughs> I do want to say that there's some spots where, like you were saying, that in the story, the philosophical debate about justifying bad behavior and equivocating about things that you do wrong. 
I thought the adaptation was successful in showing it rather than telling it. I think it's mm-hmm. a more eloquent story, but that, that whole idea of I'm only going to take $6,000 of the safe, I'm not going to just rob my uncle, these little half-steps in his moral decay. What do you guys think about, as Tim pointed out earlier, he doesn't have a discussion with it until the end. And so there was a lot of, I don't know if Sixth Sense makes any sense to you, like he's being talked to, but he's not answering it. So we're not 100% sure if he can hear it or if we're just hearing it. I think you're right. It's this tiny voice that he's maybe not aware of in the back of the head until he kills another human being. And I think it has to do with the mirror itself, too. That's when he becomes aware of the actual But he thing knew he didn't him. want to look in a mirror before he even killed the guy. So mm-hmm. he had some thought in his head that looking in the mirror is going to make me come face to face with something I don't want to see. So he, it was in there. I don't understand, both in the short story and the adaptation, how it was at this point that stocks were such... Thank you. Equated with moral ineptitude. I, that's my first note. His stocks failed, so he owes them $6,000 quickly. It's maybe a different perception of what stocks used to be, but I, I guess we all know deep down it's gambling. Because At least in the radio show, I recall uh, the, he says something about you, you knew the risk when you bought on margin. So there's this idea that he's spending the money irresponsibly or he's buying risky things. Right. And he's stealing the money in the first place, it sounds like, to even do But as Tim said, the way we look at stockbrokers today yeah and, and, and the calls whole, himself my broker yeah it may have had a different perception that we're not aware of back then mm-hmm. that they were not really a profession <laughs> <laughs> that's something that's like gambling then by today's standards where it is a profession does that make sense i didn't I'm... interpret it as the profession being corrupt but that it was a profession that could under the wrong circumstances put okay. you in a position of desperation like... that would make you make a bad choice like you're trying to come up with a profession that would leave you somehow in desperate need of large sums of money and have to check your moral compass to see how you get this money. But in today's world, if you lose money in the stock market, it's your your stockbroker's fault, not your fault. And you get mad at them. They have to kill an antique dealer. They have to go kill an (laughs) antique dealer. He called him and said, hey, man, you got like six seconds to come up with, you know, $6,000. I'm going to come over and break your legs. You hear me? You know, it was more like a bookie. I barely understand it today, let alone (laughs) (laughs) 1880-whatever. So, the movie Trading Places. (laughs) Oh, boy. (laughs) This is absolutely true. I I like the movie a lot. I laugh. I see it, you know. Classic. Stands the test of time. (laughs) I can never still do not understand what happened <laughs> with the oranges? And then they were buying them, and then they were selling them, and then they made a ton of money. And I don't know. <laughs> I cannot. I've sat down with that ending like 17 times and said, okay, what are they doing here? And how did this work? And they wait, and they wait, and they go, sell or buy or whatever happened. And I cannot. So I'm with you. Like, I don't understand that game at all. It ain't pull tabs. And for those who are outside Minnesota, you have no idea what I'm just talking about. That's our legal gambling in this state. I, I think collectively, if we, any one of us called a broker, that phone call would end with, you owe me $6,000 right now. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So anyway, so if somebody could please explain the ending of trading places to me <laughs> and what exactly happened there. Any other comments or thoughts? I just love they chose, though, to call this voice in his head the evil genius because Mm -hmm. he is the worst evil genius. Like, (laughs) everything he tells him to do just ends in absolute disaster. He's that dumb friend that you shouldn't have been hanging out with at 15 (laughs) that you eventually figured out, oh, I shouldn't be hanging out with. 
this guy. Yeah, I think one of the problems in the adaptation is that um, Markheim just seems like a stupid doof. In in the story, he's in charge enough of his faculties to make decisions. There are parts of the adaptation that seem almost surreal. You almost wonder when he goes into the kitchen and talks to Mrs. Cleary, like she's obviously a cook or somebody who's yeah. reading the newspaper about someone in the city is killing someone with a sharp knife. And it almost turns into a surreal sequence where she's going, it'd be really easy to kill someone with a sharp knife. Yeah. Is he hallucinating her? I, I, no, I, I Is took that it... the evil genius in drag? Right. <laughs> Doing a Mrs. Cleary bit to tell him to stab this guy? I think the actor was overemphasizing the lines that she was saying on purpose to give the perception of how he was hearing it. That could be it. Does that make sense? Yeah. Mm-hmm. If we were sitting there, she wouldn't be talking that specifically about right a knife would be good right it was supposed to be intended for us to be hearing his slow decay into madness she was on her own journey of killing someone else (laughs) you're right or that (laughs) which is markheim part two yes mrs cleary mrs cleary there is a a, markheim reckoning i think emblematic of the joys and faults of weird circle adaptations with that scene of where he's trapped in the, the pawn shopper's place because there's people out in the front who kind of see him, and there's kids playing marbles in the back. Yeah. yeah. How are you ever going to get past them? Yeah, I mean... They I, have marbles! And it's it, wonderful it, because it shows how vulnerable he feels at the moment, that mm-hmm. completely powerless, and it's also dumb. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You should be a therapist. <laughs> I understand I really that you what feel vulnerable right now, but you're an idiot. <laughs> <laughs> I, I I will say I like that scene in the sense of if you don't plan your crime out and you're in the middle of it yeah, and man. It, you have to start thinking about <laughs> those details now, then you start to go in a full-on panic. I'm going to make huge mistakes here. <laughs> and even just waiting and thinking it out is probably a huge mistake. And so I like that, that I can't even walk by the kids of the marbles. They're going to see me in. But the <laughs> scene was a little too long. Kids who pointedly said, we will not leave here. <laughs> Until he comes out and yells at us. Which, by the way, the uh, antique dealer is Ebenezer Scrooge. (laughs) Other than the fact he doesn't go through the transformation of becoming good. Everybody in town talked about him. The the guy's giving him turkey and the kids. And he was a miser. Not so much in the story. Oh, okay. Um, I think that's definitely Weird Circle putting a little of that on there. Which I think is fun and good. Uh, Makes it entertaining. Let's vote. Yeah. Tim? These weird circle adaptations, I don't know if I would say they do fully stand the test of time. I suppose the failings they have were true at the time, but they are delightful and fascinating, especially like we've been talking about the adaptation and the choices they made, uh, some of which were dumb and some of which were pretty ingenious. Yeah, I would say historically interesting. I'm not sure that it stands the test of time, but at the same time, I do admire Weird Circle because they are ambitious. They tackle yeah. adapting things that mm-hmm. they maybe shouldn't adapt and that mm-hmm. they don't always have the ability to adapt. So I, I give them that. It is exactly why I keep going back to Weird Circle is because they are so ambitious and I keep thinking when I hear them that one of them's got to work. <laughs> and again, with this one, uh, I listened to it and I said, well, I'm bringing it to the table anyway. Uh, but no, it didn't quite work. Again, Weird Circle is 
two players short of a Super Bowl team. They're like, they're <laughs> so a good way of putting it. They're so close. It's well written and produced, and, and and the ideas are good, but it's not quite there. And so I was close. And I was. It's like a perfect circle, only it's a weird, weird circle. circle. <laughs> <laughs> See, they were going to call the show oblong. <laughs> I especially, and I listened to it, and I was like, okay. And then I went back and read my synopsis of the short story, and that's when I got disappointed with them. I was like, oh, I think you guys missed the mark on some things that you should have kept from the short story. You should go back to school and get a synopsis of an English major. <laughs> oh, I kind of did. I'll tell you how I got to college someday. <laughs> nice. <laughs> to be continued. Uh, there's a lot of cramming about 10 minutes before tests. No long-term knowledge made it. <laughs> Tim. Yes. Hey, uh, loyal listeners, please go visit ghoulishdelights.com. That is where you'll find other episodes of this podcast. You'll also find information about us and the live performances we do, because we occasionally do live performances of old radio material. And in fact, if you're in the Minneapolis-St. Paul area, this New Year's Eve, we're going to be at the Bryant Lake Bowl, ringing in 1948. Nice. Very exciting. Also, go to iTunes and write a review. Maybe pick a piece of classic literature and adapt it into a review. Like Call of the Wild. Turn the Call of the Wild into a five-star review for this podcast. Oh, I love it. <laughs> Done. That's my synopsis of Call of the Wild. It's, oh, I'm out of here. <laughs> got the next one? I do. We'll be listening to uh, The Signalman from Suspense. Until then. Look out! You can't stop me from doing this! Look out!